This is episode 94 of the Landscape Photography Show. And before we get into today's episode, I want to thank patron Abdallah Ahmed for supporting the podcast week after week. You guys tune in and you hear the best photographers. This show can't happen without your continuous support and providing support on the Patreon platform. That platform is divided into different tiers that can fit anybody's budget. So if you're interested in getting exclusive content, like exclusive audio from today's episode and previous episodes as well, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston, and you can sign up for a tier that fits your budget. Now, those tiers also come with extra benefits, like Abdallah has signed up that fit his budget, and now he gets exclusive audio. He got a letter from me, a sticker, plus much more. So again, if you're interested in that, go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up to support the podcast today. On today's episode, we're talking with photographer and one of my good friends in photography, Dan Ballard. And I think one of the most interesting things about Dan is that he's such a deep thinker and he's so calculated about his answers. I always enjoy talking to Dan about what he's doing in photography. And it's kind of a little game that I have with Dan to to throw him off a little bit and get him off script. And I think we both got down to a lot of deeper things in photography in this episode that you're going to find really, really interesting. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, we're here with Dan Ballard. Dan and I have actually known each other for a pretty long time. We spoke on my old podcast that I had and and I told Dan at the latest conference that we met up at, hey man, we got to get another one of these scheduled. So I'm excited to talk to Dan joining us from Montrose, Colorado. Dan, how are you today? Oh, doing great. We're in beautiful Montrose, Colorado. So it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Why don't we get started like I like to do for everybody, and that's just to get us all on the same page. How did you get started, and what led you to where you are right now? Um, Yes, so uh, my mom was actually a professional photographer growing up, and she did more, you know, portrait photography, wedding photography, seniors, you know, all that kind of stuff uh, for her, you know, job. But then she loved doing, you know, landscape photography and outdoor photography, just kind of as a hobby. So I kind of grew up with it and just kind of my whole life, I was kind of had, you know, cameras around me and was, you know, kind of helping her with different things. And uh, so whenever I was about 16, I decided to go to New Zealand as an exchange student. And of course, you know, took a camera and, you know, kind of had a, a basic idea how to use it and, you know, sort of what I was doing as far as settings and stuff. And uh, yeah, that trip really taught me mainly just how hard photography was. Um, I came back from that trip. It was, you know, New Zealand. It was gorgeous, and I had a good camera, and, and I really thought that with you know growing up with it that I was going to get these great pictures. And um, I came back, and the pictures were just terrible. Like I just didn't get anything good at all. And um, I think that kind of started me down this path of kind of like, wow, this is really hard, and it's really fun, and I want to really get into this more. And that kind of got me, kind of where I started to just want to start learning, you know, learning to be a photographer. 
have you always been one to gravitate towards like those fun activities for sure, but also the more challenging ones that takes a little bit more effort to figure out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> have a lot of hobbies and yeah, most of them are difficult. And I, I definitely really like that aspect of, of something being really hard and, you know, trying my best to learn everything I can, um, you know, really into guitar playing and really hiking and you know, a bunch of other things. And with all of those, I, I love the learning process. I love, you know, trying to find some kind of an expert or a pro and just picking their brain and trying to learn every single thing that I possibly can about it and just jump in just, you know, as, as solid as, as hard as I can. And um, yeah, photography is probably the hardest thing I've ever done or ever tried. And even after so many years of doing it, you know, still have so much to learn about it. And I think that's partly why I love it so much. It just, it's so challenging. Last song you learned to play on the guitar was what? Oh, last song. Oh man. Um, probably something by um, Gregory Allen Isakoff. Isakoff? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Isakoff, yeah. Isakoff, yeah. yeah. He's one of my favorites. So work on some of his songs and yeah, just constantly learning, trying to learn something new on the guitar. Do you have it with you? I mean, you could play something like that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that wouldn't be good for anybody. My, my, my I, guitar playing is not terrible. My singing, though, needs... A- okay. Okay, I'll spare everybody's no, ears. No one, and, no one uh, would want that, that's for sure. Yeah. I did some some digging. I, I, I looked at your About Me page on your website this morning before we jumped on and saw that you grew up in Kim, Colorado. Um. I did some digging on, on the demographics of Kim 2010 census, 74 total people, um, a, a total area of 0.3 square miles. That's a, a small population and a small area to grow up in. Yes, it's very small. I'm, I'm curious that it said 74 now. I've always told people 75 people. So that sounds like that's about right. Yeah, no, it was. Well, you gained you gained one since <laughs> yeah. 2010. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, um, super small town. And I mean, people also don't realize like that town's so small, but it's a good hour from anywhere else. And the anywhere else is only a town of, you know, a few thousand people. So to get to any sort of actual city, you know, you're talking a couple hour drive. So it was, you know, seriously middle of nowhere. Uh, my graduating class was four people. Okay. Oh, yes. And before you ask, nope, I did not graduate top of my class. If you can believe that. <laughs> did you graduate bottom nope i didn't graduate bottom either so you know there okay <laughs> so just just flying through the middle exactly. like i like to do yep exactly that's the perfect everybody cla- everybody asked me so now in a town like that what was your childhood like you know honestly i think fairly similar to to most people's um i feel like a few generations before mine living out there would have been really, really different than, you know, somebody that grew up in, you know, in Denver or somewhere. Uh, hmm. By the time I was a kid, you know, I mean, obviously internet was a thing and everyone had cable TV. And so I don't feel like we lived too much, you know, kind of out of line with, with everyone else. But, but I definitely knew that it was strange, you know, just being that far out in the middle of nowhere. Every time you wanted to go grocery shopping or something, you know, it was an hour drive to, you know, to get to a big grocery store. And I mean, if I, you know, learned to play guitar, you know, in high school, if you broke a guitar string, you know, you might have to wait two weeks. That was before <laughs> Amazon and everything. So you had to wait two weeks till you drove to the, the big city a couple hours away um, and, you know, to get a new guitar string. 
So it was definitely a little different. Um, to this day, whenever I can run to a grocery store or a hardware store or a guitar store, just 10 minutes from my house, that's like, that's still really nice. Do you think living in a town of that size really fueled your appreciation and love of travel? Yeah, for sure. That That's really what started it, I think. Um, I was I was pretty lucky. My parents, you know, like to travel at, at least um, <laughs> relatively speaking compared to the other, you know, people that lived in the town. And we would go on, you know, vacations. And as a kid, I was lucky enough to go to New York quite a few times and to Hawaii and, um, you know, quite a few different trips, California, quite a few different pretty good trips around the U.S. So I was kind of the one, you know, kid and you know, the whole high school that had traveled and, you know, been on a plane. I had friends that had never seen an airplane, you know, even in high school, some of them had never, you know, left state. Um, and so I think that kind of started that love for traveling. And then it really made me want to show people, you know, show people the world. Uh, I feel like now with Instagram and all these photographers, everybody sharing stuff, it, you know, pretty much anybody that's online at all is going to be seeing images from all over the world. Uh, but back, you know, that was only 15, 20 years ago, but even then that just wasn't nearly as common of a thing. So, so yeah, that absolutely made me want to, you know, travel and, and share those images. What do you think you take from Kim when you go and visit other places, not only within the United States, but also other countries as well? You know, the, the funny thing is, and I can't remember this quote exactly, but it's, it's something along the lines of, you know, the true purpose of traveling is not only to go and explore this beautiful place, but to see your home as a strange and beautiful and interesting place. And so I think that traveling has kind of both made me really realize how interesting that culture was, you know, a lot of Western, a lot of ranches, um, a lot of that sort of stuff. And traveling, I think, really made me aware of how interesting that and unique that was. Uh, but then also I feel like I kind of look at small towns overseas with maybe a little more understanding of how it'd be to live in these little towns. You know, I'll, I'll um, be traveling with somebody else and, you know, somebody that's from, you know, some huge city or something. And they'll say, wow, it'd be so crazy to grow up in this, you know, little village in Nepal or somewhere. And for me, I'm kind of thinking, you know, not, that's not too, too different than how I grew up actually. I mean, certainly somewhat, you know, with internet connections and stuff, but, but yeah, it definitely makes me kind of a little more aware of maybe what it's like to live in some of these smaller towns overseas as well. Does that unique perspective kind of put your own spin on some of the compositions that you frame up, not only with landscapes, but also capturing the cultural elements that you visit? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, with, with travel photography, especially, I, I really love that you know, storytelling aspects, which, you know, obviously that's what most people are, are attempting to do with, you know, with travel images. But yeah, I, I think trying to tell that story and trying to show, you know, where these people live. And for me with travel photography, I kind of like to take a little bit of a, a backwards approach where most people, I think, start off trying to find the, the, the most interesting person to take a photograph of. And I'm generally looking for a background first, for the landscape first, for, you know, something to kind of help tell that backstory. And then I kind of try to find a, a person to put in that story. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that aspect of it really kind of affects how I'm trying to shoot those, those types of images. 
you know, we're talking so much about like travel experiences and, and things that and I love travel too, but you know, the past, what year and a half now we're coming out of COVID, hopefully fingers crossed. Sure. And, and we haven't been traveling at all. What's that done for you and like your creative expression and, and how you're able to share yourself through your photographs? You know, honestly, I think it's been really good for me, uh, surprisingly. Um, before COVID, I mean, we were traveling just nonstop. I mean, we were overseas, you know, many, many times uh, a year. And a lot of times just to be a trip to Norway and back for, you know, a week and fly straight to, you know, to Iceland or somewhere. And a lot of times not even going home or it'd be just absolute craziness. And after so many years, you know, of traveling and so many years of traveling so much, like so many things, I think it, you just kind of get to where it just becomes the norm, um, you know, to where a, a quick you know trip down to Patagonia to teach a workshop or something just wasn't really a big deal. It was more just kind of like, oh, I'm kind of dreading the flight more than anything. So I feel like COVID really was great because it kind of reset that. Um, it made me, you know, like, okay, we couldn't travel. We couldn't go anywhere. And I don't know that that's really kind of been good. I think like now, I mean, man, I'm so excited to travel again. Like I, you know, it's, I haven't been overseas. I haven't left the country, you know, since this started, which of course is the, that's the first time that's happened in, you know, 15 years or something. So yeah, now I'm just like, I can't wait to travel. I'm so excited to get overseas again. I feel like I'm going to be really fresh with, you know, with photography and then also, you know, just really being able to focus more on shooting the States. Uh, you know, going, spending so much time overseas, of course, you're, you're not shooting at home as much. So that whole time being able to shoot a, a lot uh, here in the States and spend a lot of time in Colorado and we've been doing a lot of four wheel driving and just really working, you know, my home area. Uh, so that's really been, you know, excellent as well. When you say we, who do you mean? Uh, my wife, Nicole and our puppy Raleigh. Okay. She's eight months old, so she's our new new travel buddy. What's it like having Nicole as kind of like the manager of the business side? Um, that's been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, she's a um, professional, you know, marketer. She works, you know, for a few different ad agencies. And when we met, that's what she was doing was you know basically promoting companies and managing social and doing all these you know cool things. And it was all these things that I really needed someone to do, you know, for my business. And we started talking and, you know, we wanted to travel. Her job was kind of getting in the way of, you know, of us being able to travel where we wanted to. So we were like, Hey, let's, you know, let's combine forces. And yeah, now she kind of handles all, all that kind of stuff. She does a way better job than I could ever do. And yeah, it's been awesome. And I can focus a little bit more on just, you know, taking photos and kind of keeping that passion for shooting alive more, without being as bogged down by the, you know, the computer side of things. How did you guys meet? Uh, we, we, we have a whole thing where we, you know, this elaborate lie where <laughs> she, she jumped out of the plane first and her parachute didn't go off and I jumped out to save her. And, but the truth is we met online. Okay. But, but if, you want to, if you want to tell everybody about the sky jump, you know, the skydiving thing, you're welcome to, that's fine too. Should I just edit this part out and like <laughs> nobody has to hear yeah, that, about the online dating? I think part? that's that's the best thing to do. Yeah, go for it. Uh, okay, good, good deal. Um, in terms of 
like traveling. I know you and I both traveled out to Kanab to be at the conference where we where we met in person for the first time and got to hang out, which was fun and great. I'm wondering if you felt anything like I did. Did you gain any inspiration from the conference and and kind of take something out of it and with positive expectations moving forward? Oh man, so much. Um, you know, more than I thought, honestly. I've I've spoken, you know, quite a few of those over the years and and always enjoy them and always really love, you know, meeting all the participants and, you know, meeting and speaking with all the speakers. Um, but man, this conference, I just, I don't know, I, I really came away from it, you know, inspired and, and ready to go shoot from, from everybody. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time hanging out with, um, with David Annette and Nikki Freitas and um, Eric Bennett and, you know, just, just all, all the speakers are yourself. And so all, all of those guys just hanging out with all of you guys, it just, it, it really, you know, that inspired me a lot. Uh, but man, honestly, Art Wolf's presentation, I don't know. I mean, that just really, it really inspired me. Like just seeing so many years of, of his images um, and so many projects and just kind of his nonstop, just passion and love for this and just continuing to go, go, go. Ah, man, I, I left after that presentation, just kind of dying to go shoot and travel. And, and, and honestly, I asked him after the, you know, after everything was kind of over, you know, how he kept his love alive, how he didn't get bogged down by, you know, by all the online stuff. And, you know, some of these things that just kind of, I feel like just kind of gets to, to a lot of us. And he kind of just said, you know, he just he doesn't really care about what anybody else is doing. He, he just goes and does his own thing and he goes out there and he just takes pictures and loves it. And, you know, I was kind of like, okay, I think that's, the, that's the move. And I don't know. I just, I was really inspired by that. You know, one of the things that Eric and I was actually talking about after that presentation that he gave was it seems like he spends his entire life in the creative flow and he just sees something and he's able to frame it up. And I feel like that is missing on a lot of photographers and and correct me if I'm wrong here and, and you can chime in on this if you want, but it seems like a lot of photographers tend to pigeonhole themselves into their niche or their genre just because that's what they do. That's what they're known for. And when they resist an image, it's almost like breaking that ability to constantly see an image as it's unfolding. Yeah, that's, that's a great observation. I mean, I, I hadn't really thought about that, but that's a great point. I mean, yeah, he, he absolutely was shooting all sorts of different styles and genres and, and really getting after it. And yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I definitely feel like, you know, picking a main kind of subject, a main, you know, genre and sticking with it is good in a lot of ways. Uh, you, you kind of have to be a little bit specialized these days, but breaking out of that and constantly shooting different things, uh, I think it's so good. I think just like you said, it, it helps you stay fresh. It helps teach you new ways to shoot. It makes you think about things differently. Uh, you know, obviously my main thing is, you know, the travel and the landscape stuff, but I shoot a lot. I mean, landscape stuff are my main thing, but I shoot a lot of pure travel stuff, which is basically travel portraits, which is of course very different. And then I've been shooting Western photography for a long time. I do a lot of Western photography, you know, cowboys and horses and, you know, we do Western workshops where we you know, teach that sort of thing. 
And then in the last, you know, a couple of years, I've been getting into like the off-road photography, overland stuff, you know, shooting, you know, um, you know, Jeeps and, you know, stuff kind of, you know, out in the, you know, out in the field and the, in the environment. And I honestly feel like shooting all those different things, while it might hurt me a little bit in terms of, you know, the number of landscapes I'm producing, I really do feel like it helps keep my love alive and it helps keep me really you know, excited for photography. And after I spent a few months really focusing on Western or really focusing on like the off-road, the jeeping stuff, then when I go back to landscapes, I'm like, I feel fresh and I'm ready to, to really hit that super hard again. Should photographers though be niching themselves? <laughs> I mean, man, that's such a hard question. I don't know. I mean, in, in some ways, I mean, okay, well, what's your goal as a photographer? I mean, I feel like for so many people, that goal should be to just have fun and just, you know, just enjoy it. And if that's all your goal is, which again, for almost everybody, that in my opinion, should be your goal. Uh, if that's your goal, then I don't think you should pick a niche. I think you should, you know, shoot everything. And if it's fun, shoot it. If you enjoy it, shoot it. If you're trying to become a pro and, you know, you want to do it full time, I mean, at least at first, it almost seems like you sort of have to, you know, pick a, a fairly specific subject and stick with it. Or, or at least maybe after you've kind of gotten the basic skills down, you know, I think it's good to shoot everything when you first start. But once you get to a certain level, I feel like, man, you almost have to pick something, you know, just because everything is so competitive now, trying to do it professionally, it might be pretty tough to not do that. But I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I think, I think a niche is always good to have as kind of like your back pocket, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's your go-to it's, it's what you're most comfortable with, but I don't know. Lately I've been thinking about putting a different spin on answering like the niche question. Maybe we, instead of desiring to go like to Iceland and, and waiting years to get there, if you don't have the means necessary to do so, maybe you should regionalize instead of look for like the most epic landscapes you can get to. So be known for photographing your region, um, the spaces that you can get to locally that no one else really knows about. And then you become not a landscape photographer, but you're like the go-to person for anything in, in my region, let's say Tennessee photography uh, or something like that. And I think, that it's just a different way of thinking about a niche rather than um, say, well, I'm known for travel portraits, let's say, since you threw that one out there. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think I would even add to that. If you do that, that sort of forces you to, to look deeper. I think mm. thing, you know, as we, as we travel more and more and more and, and we chase these big giant epic scenes, we miss so much and by making yourself focus on a smaller area or like a certain region where you live, you, you look closer, you're, you're, you're forced to, to dig deeper. And also I think that in that situation, you're going to be basically chasing light a lot more. I, I think so many times, like as photographers, we tend to go for this incredible scene and then we hope we get good light while, while we're there. But I, I love this idea of, you know, chasing light before chasing a subject. 
So, you know, just driving around as a storm, driving around mornings and evenings, you know, just be out there looking for lighting conditions and then kind of finding whatever subject you happen to come across that matches up with that hopefully really cool light you're finding. And so I think, you know, yeah, doing that around Tennessee, that forces you to end up with this body of work that's probably going to feel a lot more unique and a lot more interesting than if you were, you know, chasing icons, you know, all over the world. I, I find it interesting, you know, I, every, um, at the end of all my workshops, we always do a photo critique session and I have students bring, you know, their work, their favorite images uh, from before the workshop. And one thing that I've noticed is I'll have a lot of students that'll, that'll come with some really incredible, you know, images from all over the world. They've taken a bunch of workshops and they'll have, you know, shots of, you know, all the iconic places of, you know, Patagonia and all these places. And, and sometimes they're, they're gorgeous. But every once in a while, I'll get this student that shows up with this body of work that's like you said, that's like this very localized kind of thing. It's images of, you know, their their home and, you know, you know, some state or something that you wouldn't think of as being all that pretty. And they have this excellent body of work where every image is a shot that I've never seen before. And they have this really cool light and really interesting subjects. And I feel like that's why, because they just, they really shot their local area really well. And because of that, they have this super unique body of work. And I enjoy that so much more than the person who has, you know, this collection of iconic work, even though it's from all over the world. So yeah, that's kind of a long, a long answer to kind of basically just agree with you. But, but yes, I, I agree. <laughs> I think it's interesting though, like it, it may be a, a clear cut path that a lot of photographers take throughout their journey into what they like to shoot. Cause it typically seems like it does go through that chasing icon sequence. And then gently you meander towards, I, I wonder what's around me and I wonder what is something unique that I can frame up and something unique I can find. And uh, I'm interested. It, you said you took time during the pandemic to photograph more of the States and uh, around your home. D did you find that through your own journey? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess a few things. The, the first thing, you know, as far as like the iconic stuff goes like, yeah, I think you're right. Everybody kind of goes through that journey. It seems like, or hopefully, you know, where they discover the iconic shots, they shoot them and then they hopefully, you know, learn to maybe try to, you know, start finding their own original work. But that's one thing that I've been doing for a while now is going to places that are considered iconic places. I mean, not, not the exact spots, but places like Moab, for example, uh, or even places like Patagonia, where there are a lot of iconic images, but you don't have to shoot the iconic images there. So for quite a while now, I've been going to places like Moab. And I mean, I haven't shot an iconic shot at Moab for years. There's so many other places that are off the beaten path that you can find, you know, completely original images that you've never seen another photograph of. So, so that's a lot of what, you know, I've been doing during the pandemic. We, we live in an RV full time. Uh, so we've had the RV parked in Moab, for example, for a long time. And so that's been kind of my local area. And I've just been out, you know, exploring. We've got the uh, really built up Jeep. So we've been out exploring, you know, trying to find stuff that's totally original and trying to be creative, trying to kind of get out of the formula of, you know, taking very similar landscape style images and yeah, just kind of, you know, like you said, look closer and spend more time in a small area. So we've been doing a lot of that and same with Colorado. We spent a lot of time in Colorado, just exploring back roads and trying to find cool, you know, unique locations. 
you know, when you find photographs like that, and when you are so good at looking for light and looking for the opportunities that may make a good photograph that you can kind of sneak a subject into, is, is there a point where kind of talent becomes overrated in photography? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's definitely something that, that I tell people a lot of, I mean, it's, it's so much more about hard work. It's so much more about the time you put in. Uh, it's so much more about learning and, you know, paying attention to what you like in photographs and why certain photographs work. Uh, I, I feel like that's one of those things that so often people, you know, workshop students kind of have this idea that, you know, that they're never going to be good, that they, that they just don't have the, the ability. They weren't born with this gift. And it's a fairly common topic now. And there's been multiple books, you know, about this topic, but I find it really interesting because every single time that I've ever in my entire career teaching photography, which, you know, that's been a lot of workshops, you know, over the last, you know, 10, 12 years, every single time I've ever had a student come along and they are brand new to photography, they just got their camera and they, they seem really good. You know, they just seem like they're naturally talented. They're naturally really, really good at this. Every time that's happened, I've started to, I've asked questions. I've started to, to dig a little deeper and found out what their background is. And I've never had a student ever that didn't have some sort of background in art or, you know, their parents were photographers or they worked for years as a graphic designer or, you know, I, I've never met a student that just was excellent right off the bat that had absolutely no background in photography or, or something mm -hmm. artistic. And, and I feel like that's so telling, you know, like if you want to get into photography and you really want to be good at it, you know, just know that it, it's all about how much time you spend. It's all about the work that you put into it. It's all about the, you know, the, the, the training that you get, the, the people, the books, the podcasts, the YouTube videos, you know, that you read, watch, etc. And, and that's really what makes us, you know, great photographers. But you should still listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's anything like this. I think that you can do the more you can do, you know, the more it's going to help you for sure. Is there, do you remember a point in, in your own photography journey where you kind of realize that where, you know, I, I, I mean, I can throw one out of mind of just being able to watch the disappearing sun over the horizon. And instead of looking directly at it, you know, I'll turn around and watch it as it fades off of the landscape behind me and kind of pick and choose with a telephoto of just what's kind of a, what's occurring and seeing what the light does instead of trying to use my knowledge or talent or skill to put something into a sunset. That's not really there instead, sure. just, just watching what happens. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I, I think that, again, always being kind of interested in learning and loving the idea, the act of learning. You know, I was, I was super into basketball in high school. And again, the, the music thing with, you know, instruments. My dad was a drummer, so I was playing drums as well. And a lot of things that I was learning. So I think by the time I got to photography, even though that was fairly young, I think I was already kind of with this kind of like, okay, I, I know that I'm not necessarily very good. You know, I, I absolutely had no, I, I didn't think that I had any talent necessarily, but I knew from past experience that I just needed to spend a ton of time learning. 
So I kind of started right from the beginning, you know, going to the library and just getting every single book I could find. Um, I contacted multiple local professionals in my area and had them start working with me. I was going out and shooting with them. And yeah, so f- kind of from the beginning, I've just been kind of trying to get every bit of knowledge, you know, that I could um, and, and, you know, trying to incorporate that and, and becoming better just from that knowledge that I was collecting. So, so I think I was kind of lucky and then I never, I didn't really go through that phase of like, okay, you know, like I, I crashed because I realized that I don't have natural talent or something. Um, I just kind of are, I think I started off sort of knowing that and then just kind of building on, <laughs> building on what I learned. How did you work on basketball with a graduating class of four people is what I want to know. <laughs> you know, we, we, it was, we had an entire high school. So even though my class was small, um, we did have enough for a basketball team. And the, the, the uh, town of Kim is actually, at least I'm not sure about nowadays, but at least at the time we'd had multiple state championship um, teams and basketball was kind of life. So from the time we were like, you know, third graders, that's all we did. We didn't have PE. We just had basketball training, just nonstop. So that was kind of my whole life was basketball growing up until, you know, until high school. So I guess you do only need like 10 people. really. Exactly. We definitely couldn't have played football, but that's <laughs> basketball we could do. I digress though. Um, so how do you communicate like the whole talent is overrated thing to workshop participants? If I don't know, it's, it's kind of a hard thing to buy into Dan. You know, I mean, I, I, I think again, telling that story and letting people know that like, okay, like it just, it, it doesn't seem to exist. I mean, nowadays, again, there's a lot of books, there's a lot of research on that. So I feel like it's, it's one of those things that it's, it, it's not as, it's not as hard of a concept as I think it used to be. Uh, I think, you know, 20 years ago, it might've, there was always that thing with the, the prodigy, you know, the, the, the little seven-year-old who could just automatically you know, just could play the piano, you know, better than most adults and all that stuff. And I think with all of this research and all these books, that's kind of been disproven. I mean, yes, certainly there are seven-year-olds that are brilliant pianists, but they probably started when they were three and they've had professional teachers and they've played piano nonstop over and over and over again. That's all they've done for the last four years. And if you take most people and set them in front of the piano most days all day long with the teacher and have them play in four years, they're going to be pretty dang good at it. So I, I feel like that that concept is is just something that's, that's out there. I, I think a lot of people just maybe haven't come across it. So I think just by telling people about that and just by sharing that with them can be really inspiring for people. I think that they can look at that and be like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Like, yeah, this person, this, my neighbor, I thought that they were just so good. I never thought to ask if they, you know, were a graphic designer for 10 years before they got into photography or whatever. So I, I don't know. I think just that awareness can really help people. Do you think the ability of having your mom as a photographer while you were growing up helped you out? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, absolutely. I mean, if nothing else, the technical part of it, but, but then also just, you know, being around it and seeing the images that she was getting and kind of seeing the struggles that she was going through. And yeah, I mean, that, that definitely helped me. I mean, obviously I, I, like I said, I had so much learning to do and it took me so many years of, of trying to learn to, to get better. And, and I, I'm still going through that process. I mean, there's, there's very rarely an image that I make that I'm, that I don't think could be better or that I don't wish was better. So I think that that learning process is just nonstop. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think growing up with it definitely helped. 
And, and honestly, the music thing helped too. Um, you know, like I said, my dad was a drummer and both of my uncles were drummers as well. So I kind of grew up around bands and music and uh, musicians and guitar players. And so I think that helped my photography as well. Just kind of that artistic thing a little bit. Uh, again, way, way more about all the work and time that I put in afterwards. But that definitely did give me a little head start, I think. I'm curious, and I've asked some people this before when they've been on the podcast and they had a family member who was also a photographer. In terms of your mom and, and landscapes, do you sometimes see kind of her style of framing something up come out in your own work? You know, probably not. Uh, just because okay. that wasn't really her thing. Uh-huh. Like I said, you know, she enjoyed it. That was something she did, you know, kind of for fun. Uh, but she just never really made that like a, again, she wasn't a pro landscape photographer ever. So I, I don't think I was super influenced by her style in terms of landscapes. Uh, definitely, you know, learned a lot from her. She taught me a bunch and in terms of shooting people and all that stuff, she was really great at that, but she just, she, she never was like a super serious landscape photographer. So, When we're talking about talent, in photography and and what you know uh you you brought up graphic designer and i didn't want to go here dan but but i'm gonna go (laughs) here um now with so much emphasis being put on post-processing and the ability to create an image through what i'll call digital art um does that add to the the talent argument or does it take away from it you you mean just as far as like the editing skills in general? Yeah. I I don't know. That's a that's a really great question. I mean, certainly if you have, you know, certainly if you have a lot of computer skills and you've already been a graphic designer, man, that's going to just make your editing workflow so much easier. It's going to you're going to have to spend so much less time learning the programs and learning how to edit and so yeah, I mean, I think that would help you just a ton as far as being a better photographer, it's totally different and we don't have to go into it, but it's a totally different topic, whether or not you, you know, <laughs> whether or not you use those skills to, you know, completely get carried away as far as the processing goes or not. Um, but as far as the talent side of it goes, yeah, I think that's going to help a lot just because, I mean, I mean, let's face it. I mean, even if you're trying to keep your images, you know, somewhat realistic looking and, and sort of, you know, in the realm of reality, you know, the, the process, the post-processing is such an important part of photography for all of us, regardless of how far you push it. So man, having those computer skills, that's certainly going to help you for sure. How would you define your own post-processing approach, um, in terms of, of some of the things that you're adding in or choosing not to? So my, my idea with the whole thing, it's really simple. Uh, basically as long as you can visit the spot. So if somebody looks at one of my photographs, and then they, or even they print that photograph out or put it on an iPad or something and they take it with them and they go to the exact location. So they're literally standing in the spot that I took the photograph, looking at my photo. <laughs> if you're there and you're looking at that scene and that scene looks more or less how it looked, I mean, obviously lighting conditions are going to be different and clouds and that sort of thing. But as long as that scene matches up, I think you can do whatever you want to with Photoshop. I don't really think there's any limits. Uh, if you start to use Photoshop in a way to where you're not representing the place anymore at all, to where you look at that photograph and wait a minute, there's not a waterfall in the foreground here, or, oh, wow, that peak is actually stretched, you know, five times the size that it is in real life. In, in my case, for, for my personal style, um, I feel like that's too far. 
but using Photoshop in any other way to help, you know, make the image look closer to it, you know, how it actually looked in real life, whether that's focal length blending or focal stacking, or again, I'm fine with everything. I just feel like it's really important to the sustainability of photography, to the power of photography, that somebody that goes and visits that place, you know, they're going to see roughly what you saw. They're going to go and visit and say, wow, this really is incredible. Not, oh, wow, that actually doesn't look like that photograph at all. That photograph isn't even a real place or a real thing. You know, that was just digital art. For somebody who travels so much, have you lost trust in some of the images that you see? Absolutely. Yeah. There, there's so many times now that I'll, you know, that I'll see a photo online and my first thought is, wow, that looks incredible. And then I stop and think, huh, I wonder if that's actually real. I wonder if that's an actual place. Uh, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, you'll go through the comments and there'll be a million people, even on a shot that, you know, is a complete, you know, digital, you know, uh, composite, you know, of multiple different places put together people will still be saying, oh, where is this? And I can't wait to visit this place. I'm going to go see it. Not knowing that that place doesn't, there's no, there's no place like that in the world. And I think as more and more people start to realize that they can't trust photos, that these epic places in a lot of cases aren't real, I think photography is going to start to lose its power. And, and that's unfortunate. Is it discouraging? I don't know. I've, I've been back and forth with that so many times over the years. I mean, on one hand, photography is really important to me. And so, yes, you know, I, for, for somebody who works so hard to try to, you know, to find great light, knowing that a lot of the photos that are posted and that, you know, people love, you know, have an added sky in, sometimes a sky that the person didn't even take, you know, yes, that can be somewhat discouraging. You know, it makes the, the photograph you worked for two weeks to get less powerful because people are used to seeing, you know, these incredible skies, even if they weren't real. But then on the other hand, you know, I mean, photography is supposed to be fun and that's kind of the main goal. And for me at this point, you know, I love being out there. I love going to shoot. I love trying to create something. I love that moment when it does come together. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, I, I do think I'm lucky that, you know, I, I've already I'm kind of established already. I, I think it would be really, really discouraging to be an upcoming pro right now, to be somebody who's really trying to make it because I feel like you would be stuck with, okay, if I really want to stand out, uh, you, it would be really tough to not have, feel like you had to do some of that stuff, you know, adding crazy skies and stretching peaks and all that craziness. I, I'm pretty lucky. I don't feel like I have to do that. <laughs> um, I can just kind of go and enjoy the photography that I love and, and just make my own images but I could see where it would be very, very discouraging for somebody trying to get into it and, and, and grappling with, you know, do, do you make something that's epic that's not real or do you try to create something you love? I don't know. That's tough. Let me latch on to, to that, that, that you said anybody who's trying to be like an up and coming professional landscape photographer or travel photographer right now, what are some things that they can do to be a good photographer and have successful images and kind of not get bogged down with some of the typical stuff. I mean, I, on the podcast, I can only ask about like compositional structure so many times before <laughs> I get bored out of my mind. Sure. <laughs> wow. I mean, man, that's, that's a tough question. I mean, the, the, the best answer I can give, which I, I feel like always sounds like a non-answer, but 
but it's really not. I think the key is to be creative and realize that that anybody that gives a solid answer to that, you that might not work for you. You know, if I, if I was to give three steps, you know, do this and this and this, those may or may not work right now. They might have worked for the photographer giving them even a year ago or worked for that particular person because of their style or their social media abilities or whatever. I, but I feel like the key is to find your own thing, to do your own thing, to be yourself, to try to find your own niche, you know, wh- whether that's, you know, with shooting style or just with your business style. Uh, man, I, I see so many photographers trying to kind of follow what everybody else is doing, but it seems like the people that make it are the ones that are doing their own thing. So you really have to try to be as creative with your goals there as you are with your photography itself. Uh, and then of course, just working hard. I mean, I, I get emails all the time and I have for years, you know, people asking that exact question, you know, I, I'm, I'm a young photographer. I'm trying to get into this you know, what, what should I do? Give me, give me some advice. And I, I always try my best to, to help them out and try to, you know, give them a few ideas. A lot of it being just that, just find your own thing. But the number of times that I hear back from people years later that say, Hey, you know, I made it. Uh, that, that's pretty low. Um, I feel like so many people give up, you know, long before they really have a chance to make it, they realize how hard it is and they, they stop trying. So if there's any piece of advice and the main thing that I tell people, it's just like, keep going, <laughs> you know, don't give up, don't stop. It's going to be discouraging. I mean, there's so many people that are wanting to do this now and you know, you just kind of have to keep going with it and, and, and not stop. That's really the, the biggest piece of advice I can give. How did you continue to encourage yourself in the same way when you were getting started and maybe getting a little bit bogged down or frustrated or discouraged? Oh, I mean, man, that, I mean, I I had a bunch of moments like that. I mean, I I still do. I mean, I feel like anybody that's, that's in this and doing this, especially with the current landscape is going to definitely have some times where you struggle and where you wonder what you're doing. Uh, I, I think for me, the biggest thing has always been giving myself permission to back off for a while. Um, I think so many times, I mean, yes, you can never give up. You never want to stop, but I feel like giving yourself permission to take a little break, to pursue your other hobbies, to not get burned out. Uh, I think that's incredibly important as well to, to know, okay, yep. I'm going to focus on this hundred percent. I'm going to give every single thing I have for, you know, a year or a couple of years or whatever. And then if I feel that I'm starting to get burned out, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to stop shooting quite as much. I'm going to play more guitar. I'm going to go out and hike and not, and not really worry about my photography. If I happen to get a few good pictures while I'm out there. Great. If I don't, I don't even care. There's no stress. And I think giving yourself those breaks, just at least for me, always lets me recharge. And after I've come off, you know, a couple of months or whatever, of just not hardly shooting or just really not worrying about it. I'm so much more ready to go and I'm so much more recharged than I was. Did you have anybody in your corner? when you were going through those moments? Yeah. Yeah, I have. I mean, um, you know, even my mom, you know, has always been kind of a a sounding board and somebody that I've been able to kind of shoot stuff off and both my parents really. Um, and then, you know, I mean, at at this point, you know, my wife, Nicole, obviously has been awesome and super supportive and she kind of just, you know, encourages me. But if I go through a phase where I'm, you know, just mountain biking and not really shooting, you know, she's always kind of supporting that versus saying, Hey, you've got, you know, you've got to make images. And, and again, I think that works so well, because then 
after a bit of time off, I'm always just dying to get back to it. What are you excited about that's coming up for your photography business, things that you're going to get into and places that you're going to go? Uh, you know, we're about ready to leave for Idaho. Um, we do, it's a, a brand new workshop. So it'll be the first time we've um, done it in the, the Sawtooth range. And man, I'm just super excited about that. We're, we're doing a couple workshops there and, um, yeah, not, not only teaching the workshops, but you know, just exploring that area. It's, it's not an area I've spent a ton of time other than last year and, you know, just scouting for the workshop. So spending more time up there and really getting to know that area better and the surrounding area. Um, yeah, super excited about that. Well, he's Dan Ballard. Dan, thank you so much for joining us and talking photography. Thanks, David. Really appreciate it. So the podcast is over right here, but it's continuing going on over on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for a tier that fits your budget and get the exclusive audio from the rest of my conversation with Dan, where we talk about some of the pitfalls for photography. You know, I share some really deep things about maybe not lasting in photography. Dan reflects those sentiments and gives his own feedback on them we also talk about not only that but we also have a really good discussion on the risks and the benefits of the two types of landscape photography that i think there are and that's really imagining a shot setting it up in your mind and then going through the planning motions of creating that shot in the field and waiting for the right light versus chasing light and going on the more serendipitous approach to photography and just shooting what catches your eye even if that is on the roadside or from a parking lot so if you want exclusive audio to that discussion go to patreon.com david johnston and sign up for a tier that fits your budget each tier gives you access to those plus much more thank you guys so much and i can't wait to see you in the next episode